John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Allow me to read God's Word uh, to you. Yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Glory to God. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John the Baptist, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. So reads God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. Glory to God. What a passage, huh? Again, the sermon title is Light to the World. Light to the World. I want to just have you fix your eyes on the first three verses, and as we go back to the text this morning, again, the words will be on the screen. If I look at verses 1 through 3, it kind of sets up where we're going. It says here again, we just got done reading, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that had been created. The Word says in the beginning was the Word. Three times we see that, the Word, the Word. Three times in verse 1, the Word. The most important thing to know about this Word is found in verse 14, okay? We didn't read that, but that's, why, that's the most important thing we could find about this, and here's what it says. The Word, okay, there's that Word again. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 The Word refers to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The Word refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the One who has always existed. That sets up the text for this morning. Jesus was called Many other names, good names. The Word was one of them. But how about these? The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. That is Isaiah 7.14. Emmanuel means God with us. We just got done singing that. Or how about this description of our Lord? Here is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 
29. So he's called the Word. He's called Emmanuel. He's called the Lamb of God. You know, when I see a verse like that, the Lamb of God as a pastor, this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I personally rejoice. I'm grateful for a verse such as that verse. Here He is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But yet, for some of you, not all of you, but some of you, maybe more than a few of you, that verse makes little to no sense whatsoever. And there's nothing to shout for joy over. You you just don't get it. And I've certainly been there. Because some see that text and they, they say amen and yes, and they clap, they get excited. But others just, okay, I, I hear it, I see it, but yet there's two different conclusions. Why is that? Why is there two different responses to a verse such as that? Allow me to illustrate it this way. I want you to think for just a moment that you are going into your annual checkup with your medical doctor. It's an annual checkup. There's nothing that you can think of that's wrong with you. You're just going in for a checkup. As a matter of fact, the sooner you get in, the sooner you get out, you can get up the road and get yourself some tacos, right? It's a routine visit. And the doctor comes in, and it's not your typical doctor. It's not your doctor. And the doctor kind of looks you over, and he gives you a once-over and decides to give you some medication. He gives you two different medications, but he hasn't really even examined you. And all of a sudden, as he gives you these two medications, he starts to explain to you the side effects and what the medication is going to do to you, and you're not too excited about it. So not only do you refuse the medication, you decide to find yourself a new doctor. That might sound a little ridiculous, but I think it will help with the illustration. However, you wouldn't saw your doctor, and that doctor, your doctor, looked you over thoroughly, he gave you a good or she gave you a great examination. But then all of a sudden he began or she began to fixate on some lump or or bump that was on your body. And he started asking questions about it, he started poking at it. And then that same doctor ordered further blood tests and scans. He'd have your attention. And that same doctor calls you back in when the results came. And he sits you down. And he says, I want to go over what we found. You've got a serious disease. A disease that can kill you. Would he have your attention? Of course he would. You see, the remedy or the cure is two medications. Again, he dispenses it. He says, this is the remedy. Here's the cure. Here is the two medications. And again, he explains the side effects are going to be very unpleasant. It's going to make you sick. You would drink that medicine down like it's water. You wouldn't like it, but you would deal with it because the medication can and likely would save your life. Well, with that in view, the Bible says, the Lord says, that you and I, all mankind, your pastor included, is sin-sick. Sin, sick. It's a terminal condition, and there's only one cure, Jesus. Jesus is the remedy. We need our sins paid for. We need a cure, and Jesus is the cure. 
in verses 4 through 9, we see that Jesus is referred to or referenced to, he's called the light, the light. Six times in verses 4 through 9, we see the word light. Those who are sin sick need the light. Let's take a look at verses 4 through 9. In him was life, and that life was in the light, light of men. Verse 5, that light shines in the darkness. Let me just pause there for a second. Light and darkness, two polar opposites, right? But it's a depiction that there is darkness and there's also light. Again, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify, to testify about the light so that all may, might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's a lot of lights. The Lord's trying to tell us something. The author wants us to grab a hold of something. You know that you and I can sum up the ministry of John the Baptist, that forerunner, that one that goes beforehand. We could sum up his ministry right now in verse 7. Let's look at it. He came as a witness. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. That's why John the Baptist is put in place to go before the Lord so that so that all might believe through him, so that they would be saved, is what that means. One writer said it this way. He said, the Christmas story is really a light story. It's not the lights you place outside your home or hang on your tree, the tree that sits in your living room. This story is about the light, the light who's come into the world that has been sadly cast into darkness. This light has come into the world because sadly the world has been cast into darkness. The world had become a dark place. The world, as you know, is a dark place. Now, why the darkness? Because of man's rebellion and man's sin. That's why there's darkness. That's why there's darkness in the text today that we're reading. And there's darkness still. So let me ask you a question. Let me shift for a moment and make it personal. I want you to consider what I'm getting ready to ask you. How are you doing today? Not your neighbor. How are you personally doing today? It's a loaded question. How have you personally experienced darkness? How have you personally experienced it? With a group of this size, I would reckon that many of you have felt the sting of a failed marriage or a marriage that's on life support. Some of you felt the darkness of a rebellious child. Some of you are feeling the pain and the angst of a dysfunctional family. Some of you, you think about your life and you say, you know, I, I've got the career or the business that I've always wanted. I'm making more money than what I can spend. I'm grateful for that but people envy me, but I just don't feel satisfied. I feel empty. Some of you have been the victim or continue to be the victim of verbal abuse, physical abuse, 
And some of you have had the unthinkable happen in your lives and you know exactly what that is. Some of you come in this morning and it's a dark place. Some of you have been feeling this way for so long and you have lost your confidence. Some of you are so done with the pain and the agony that the medication you take no longer works. And you've thought about it in despair of actually taking your own life during this holiday season. So what does Jesus do with a world that is completely spiraling in darkness? What does He do about it? Verses 10 and 11 begin to unveil that to us. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, and yet the world did not recognize Him. He came, He came, He came to His own. And His own people, the Jewish people, the people during this time, they did not receive Him. They didn't receive Him or His message. Jesus leaves heaven and He comes to earth because earth had become dark. He comes with the good news of the Gospel. He comes with the hope of the Gospel. But the text says the people did not receive Him. Jesus Christ and the Gospel message Emmanuel, God with us, is rejected. Why? Why would a people who've been waiting for the Messiah, why would they reject Him? Well, John 3.19 gives us the answer. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light. They, they love the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. But yet to contrast that bad news, we see some good news. As we see that others receive the light and then they receive life, eternal life. As it says in verses 12 and 13, but to all who did receive Him. This is good news. For all who did receive Him, receive him He gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of that natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. This text shows us and teaches us that those who put their faith and their trust in Him, He's adopted them. He calls them sons or daughters. They've been regenerated because of the grace of a God who came to this earth because it was dark. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had your house cleaned? And as your house was clean, you sat yourself and maybe at the island in your kitchen and you sat back and you said, this is awesome. Look at what I've done or somebody else has done. And as you look at that and you're smiling and you know, maybe grabbing yourself some iced tea, all of a sudden you look and this shine, this light that's coming from the kitchen window is shining through and you start to see all the dust in the air. And you know it's coming. You know it's coming. That you know that it's just a matter of time before dust will be everywhere in that kitchen and in every room in your house, right? It's coming. It's coming, right? You, 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 didn't, you didn't see it, but it was revealed to you. It was revealed to you. Dust particles are in the air, kind of like Buzz Lightyear. Dust particles everywhere, right? Some of you know. The Ten Commandments 
are a lot like that. The, the, the commandments, they actually reveal our sin. You know, we don't like to have our sin revealed. We want everybody else's sin revealed, right? But the Ten Commandments, it's a schoolmaster. We read the Ten Commandments, and it just has a way of shutting the mouth of the arrogant guys like me. The Ten Commandments reveal our sins. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie, steal, lust. And the Bible says if you just break one of those commandments once, you're guilty of breaking all of them. Because one of the definitions of the word sin is the breaking of God's law. The breaking of the Ten Commandments. Where's that dude going? He don't even know. <laughs> Can't you see I'm trying to preach? Is that a cloward? course it is. Kevin Cloward, control your children. Notice how I didn't say brandy. Okay, so say back to the Bible. All right, we're going to do that. So what does God's word say? So I, I would say that many of you would say this. I know that I've sinned. I mean, I get it, Pastor. I mean, what are you, what are you trying to say? I mean, everybody's sinned. Well, I want you to just be sobered for a second and allow me to sober you through God's word. Here's what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And you're like, okay, I, I knew that already. I just told you I agreed with you. But then in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So there's a consequence. So the Bible teaches us the final destination for unbelieving sinners is eternal, active judgment in a place called hell. The Bible would ask us at this time to consider a verse. I shouldn't say the Bible would, would have us consider. I would say I would ask you to consider God's word in Hebrews 9.27 as it says, and just as, it is, just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment. In other words, we know we're going to die. You know that you've sinned. You know that you're going to die. But then Hebrews 9.27 ends by saying, there will be judgment. Everyone, according to the text, will be held accountable to God. But some say, I, I, just, I just know that God will, God will forgive me. I'm a good person. He's going he's gonna to handle it. He's gonna, he's gonna, I'm not worried about it. But the Bible says you, you should worry about it if you don't know Christ. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 34.7, it says this, but he, speaking of God, will not leave the guilty unpunished. This text, what this means is if your sins have not been atoned for, if you haven't repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, you are guilty and you're deserving of punishment, which is eternal separation from God or hell. There'd be some who would say, I don't believe in God. Uh, where's the evidence? Maybe your college teacher or nowadays your elementary school teacher. I don't believe in God because Miss Jones or Mr. Jones told me so. Well, I got something I want to share with you. How would you feel if I told you, well, I don't believe in George Washington? You go, George Washington is the first president of the United States. How can you say that you don't believe in George Washington? Everybody believes in George Washington. But as for this illustration, I don't believe you would think I was a maniac because everybody believes. Well, how do you know? You never saw him. I've never seen any selfies with you and George. <laughs> Prove it. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? It's such a ridiculous argument because there was no iPhones back then. Hello, when Jesus was rolling around, he didn't have an iPhone. 
So how would you know if something was true? Well, in the same manner that you would know George Washington is true, and I'm going to let you know there's more evidence to substantiate that Jesus Christ walked this earth than there was George Washington, who I do believe existed. How would you know? Well, there's evidence that George Washington existed. There is letters. There are people that eyewitnesses about George Washington. There's artifacts that had his name on it. In the same way the Bible tells that Jesus Christ was real, he came to this earth. We have his letters. We have eyewitnesses. We have artifacts that speak to a time in history when he was here. The evidence is overwhelming that he existed. So today, if I can ask you this, If you do not know Jesus as Lord, here's what the Bible says. He commands everyone who does not know him to repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Believe upon that son who came. So what are we going to do with this Jesus? May I give you scripture to consider. The scripture is Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Today, you might find yourself in the dark. You might see yourself in the dark. You might feel alone in the dark. But let me just share something with you. I want to encourage you. Just because you feel alone in the dark does not mean that you're alone. You can feel something. It doesn't mean that it's true. But it feels like it. The Bible says you're not alone. That God is with you. That God goes into the dark places, the darkest of places. You see, according to the text we just got done reading, the light came in to this world. That the light came into our dark, wicked world. And he willingly went to a cross. He willingly was slaughtered like the vilest of criminals. It was the, the day that Jesus was crucified was the darkest day in human history after Jesus was slaughtered on that cross, the entire world went dark. But praise God, that was only the intermission. Because God would soon turn the lights back on. And as Scripture says, on that third day, He rose again. The light, Jesus, defeated death. He took your sin upon Himself. He paid a debt that you and I could never pay. Our response to Him should be repentance. We should respond by believing the Gospel and according to the Word of God, if you do so, you will be saved. That, my friends, is the Gospel. That is why Christians rejoice because of the hope that we have in Him. If you are in Christ, Rejoice. Indeed, Emmanuel is with us. God with us. And He is the light. And that light shines in dark places. But sometimes that light needs to be shined to expose our sinful condition so that He can go in and do the surgery. And the surgery's been done. 
the cross has been handled. It was the Lord who said, it is finished, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Amen. Allow me to pray with you.